Well, Father, as we're gathered this morning around your word and around your table, we pray that you would help us. You would remind us. You would convict us. And you would fill us. Amen. What powerful words Jesus spoke. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As expected, John's habit of interplaying light and dark with life and death brings us to a passage that quite frankly feels visceral. You can feel it in here. It's a, it's a, it's a quite sort of deep-seated um, sort of sense. It takes us right inside, doesn't it? It polarizes, perhaps, the things going on in our hearts and in our minds into whether or not they're thoughts and deeds of light or darkness. Now, I'm not talking about meaningless things like how many, uh, what topping to have on your second helping of dessert today or how to eat the heat up the eat-ups, but things that are mattering, things that matter, things of, of consequence. And there are two ways to make those choices, aren't there? Jesus encourages these groups of new believers to hold to his teaching. If those who have been visiting, we've been following through John's gospel and sort of linking to the prologue that his own received him and did not recognize him. And John 8 is kind of the end of the Feast of the Tabernacles where Jesus has declared he is the light of the world and many people have put their faith in him and, and now we see what the consequences are of that. How are they going to take those next, next step forwards? So he encourages these believers who at the end of the festival have said, yes, this is the light that we've been looking for. He then says, you're to hold to my teaching. If you want to live, hold to this. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's the jarring point for them. That's the difficult thing for them because he's now talking about freedom and they thought that they were free. They thought that they were free of the different things and you can see that they instantly reject this idea that they'd ever been slaves to anybody. You think that's a curious thing given the history of Judea that they'd never, never been slaves. I mean, think about, they're going to talk about, they're going to reference uh, their journey. The, the festival of lights was about being released from captivity and slavery in Egypt. It was, a, it was a festival that celebrated their freedom, and yet they had gone back into the same sorts of lives. And the whole of their history was, was, was an account of just falling back into different forms of bondage and slavery and sin. So it's interesting that they would reject the idea that they'd ever been slaves at all. And in fact, they, they come and they say, look, Abraham's our father. We've never been slaves. Yeah. But the history of your people is about being enslaved. Jesus says to them earlier on, they've tried this before. Jesus, says, uh, Jesus said to them elsewhere, don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that these stones can raise up children for Abraham. So vast was the difference between what Abraham believed and what they believed. And we see it come out, don't we, in um, 
verse, uh, in, in where Jesus is talking about, if you were Abraham's children, verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do the things Abraham did. And we think about Abraham. He was a man who heard God and obeyed him, even though it looked really strange and difficult. The story of Abraham is one of following God faithfully, as faithfully as he could. And so it's interesting that they draw upon Abraham as, their, as the source of their freedom. They thought they believed the right things. They thought that they had inherited the blessings of Abraham without necessarily having to have the faith of Abraham. And there's the difference, isn't it? Sometimes we look for things without actually doing the, um, the hard work, the, the, the praying, the trusting, the kneeling. Things easily won are hardly worth winning because the process that we go through when we, we commit to something is what changes us, isn't it? So the Pharisees, whatever they look like, or these Jews and Pharisees, whatever they look like religiously, are actually, they're stubbornly holding on uh, to their old hopes and their old basis of hope. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the hope, and you need to come and follow me. The, the double irony, if you like, is that Abraham was held, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Jews held that Abraham was the first person to celebrate such a feast. That they, were, they couldn't see the connections. Jesus has been revealing these passages, revealing these truths to them without missing a beat. But not for the last time. They just say, it's not our problem. You're on the wrong track. But they represent a kind of bondage. They represent a kind of enslavement, a captivity. But it's not to just to human tradition and false belief and wrong interpretations to suit ourselves. It's actually Jesus earth-shatteringly says, you're in bondage to Satan himself. That is really quite sobering, isn't it? That's where it hits. That's why it's visceral. You could be looking quite religious and quite upfront, but actually where we are is where Satan would want us to be, not where Jesus would want us to be. And so for the people reading this for the first time or hearing this for the first time, that is really quite sobering, quite shocking. But as we have the whole raft of the Bible, the whole raft of salvation history with us, we can see that pride and refusal to trust God's word and take him seriously have consequences. We only have to go back before Abraham to see what happens when people don't trust God. Somebody once asked me if I thought the uh, Eden story was true. Was it literally true or was it a metaphor? And I said, well, actually, it's written for a group of people who had no scientific understanding in the way that we do today. And yet the truth is still really true. I know how, what a struggle it can be to trust God, that his words matter, that sin has consequences. Those are the truths in there. And what, what Jesus is doing is he's trying to call them out of the darkness of, the, of living in a dark world ruled by Satan into the light where his glory and his goodness lead us and shine through us and reflect in our lives that we do the good thing, we do the right thing, that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, that we trust God, that we love him as a loving heavenly father we can put our trust in. That's how fundamental 
this passage is. It's the battle for our who we are. People often talk about it as spiritual warfare, and, 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 and sometimes we talk about spiritual warfare in quite sort of, sort of quite extreme terms, and, and, and perhaps those things you know, happen, uh, and we don't know about them so much. But I, I was interested about how spiritual warfare is, is also about simply living as light in a dark world. That sometimes spiritual warfare is to treat others with humility and patience and consideration when we might be tempted to just look after ourselves. Sometimes it's to live consciously of as a group of people together, saying we are together, brought together by God and his mercy. It's, sometimes it's to say things that are true and timely rather than unconstructive and unhelpful. It's to be filled with light and grace, isn't it? Jesus calls us into that kind of freedom, where those choices come through that relationship with him, abandoning the things that we hold on to instead, to serve in Christ, to be conformed in his image, to be free like he was. Because to lose spiritual warfare is to live in the dark. It's to restrict ourselves to the things that we know, the things that we can control, the things that actually are controlling us. But this is St. Stephen's Day. And it's a wonderful opportunity, isn't it, just to think, here is a day given to acknowledge the first known Christian martyr, the first, the first person who really sort of, after Christ, gave us an example of that living in light over living in darkness, who saw light as so important that he wasn't afraid of any darkness that he was able to live in the world doing the right thing all the time. We read in the book of Acts that he was full of the Spirit, that he was, he was focused on God, on Christ all the time. He demonstrated the difference then that Jesus made, and he was faithful right to the end. And in this reading in Acts, we see that he understood where truth and light lead where those decisions lead. Strategy is described as lots of decisions in the same direction. Well, what's the strategy for your life? Are we making lots of decisions in that direction? Stephen seemed to have that knack. And we have to, he had the privilege, because he was focused on the kingdom, because he was focused on Christ, he had the privilege of seeing Christ welcome him. Spurgeon, uh, I haven't, we haven't got time to do this, but Spurgeon talked enormous length about Jesus standing up to receive Stephen. What honour from Christ himself to somebody who had put himself in Christ's hands and believed so much that the truth had set him free. It even freed him to forgive those who were killing him. It freed him of the need to seek justice for himself. That's true freedom, isn't it? That's the freedom of knowing that God is my saviour. God is my strength and my refuge. So shocking, shocking readings, really, for St. Stephen's Day. Tough readings, readings that make us think light and darkness. But perhaps all of our big decisions, maybe some of our encounters, maybe some of the conversations, the people that we might meet in the course of this week, would be opportunities for us to choose things of light in a dark world. 
Let's live then to the pattern of Jesus' teaching, that we might have that life that where we understand we have been freely forgiven and where we can freely give ourselves. Amen.